0: Hey folks, and welcome to Dungeoncasters, the Dungeon Master Advice Show for Rookie DMs by Rookie DMs. I'm Ben. And I'm
1: Scott. We're here to help you run your new campaign.
0: Yes, and
1: uh, ooh, uh podcast.
0: Alright! So today, folks, we are gonna be talking about improvisation, one of the most crucial and important skills uh. for any DM.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's it's crucial. It's constant, and it's unfortunately kind of painful to do in a lot of ways. Um, it's really tricky, and it's one of the more embarrassing parts of it. Um, I mean, both from a player perspective and from a DM perspective, it's it's a really difficult and sometimes unflattering thing to do.
0: Yeah, um, I, you have to be able to laugh at yourself. That's like the step one. Yes. Is yes, you even if you're running the grim, darkiest. Uh, most edge lordy campaign that ever done exist. You have to be prepared to be silly because that's the only way you can really create those characters that actually you know pull your characters, uh, your players into the narrative.
1: Yeah, and I I think that it, we we've said this a lot um, that your players are never going to do what you want them to do, and y- planning too far in advance is kind of a death sentence in a certain way. And this is. This is one of the ways... This is like your main tool to counteract that part of it, right? 100%. Because you you will have some kind of outline as to what's going to happen, but you, you can't predict 100% or maybe 50% of what your players are going to do. And so getting good at this part of the game um, or this part of the mechanical process of the game is going to allow you to, strangely enough, stick as closely to what you were aiming at as possible... I think from a sort of if you if you stand far back enough I think that's true. If you get into the details of it obviously if you're improvising on on improvised material back and forth then then you are going down maybe a different path but I've found that even when I've had to improvise the most um, nonetheless you have all kind of ended up in the place that I either thought you were going to end up at or hoped you would end up at. So
0: yeah, well, and I mean and that's the thing is like You have, if you have these big grandiose plans, that's awesome and that's great, and that you know lends itself to a large, flowing narrative. But when you have the minutia of every interaction planned out, it gets so derailed so quickly every time. Where like, you know, you plan, even if you you know excessively plan for options A, B, C, D, and E, every single time your player's going to choose option Z, 14, or yellow. Like, there's <laughs> no way you can plan for what they're going to do. So being able to improvise and being able to create some, like, random encounter or create, you know, this scripted NPC interaction or whatever you need on the fly is, like, incredibly important.
1: Yeah, it it is, and it's... I think it's one of those things, I think, when I've I've spoken to people who want to dm but have not committed to it yet this is like the thing that keeps them away the most much like mm-hmm. with 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 players getting into combat and then being dissuaded because they get really bogged down in the slow moving uh, mechanical stuff it's the improv i think that scares the dms away the most because it's 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 so intimidating because you're you're, you're writing a story but you may at any given moment have to go completely off script. Mm -hmm. You are trying to keep something consistent and build a continuity, but you don't know what's going to happen. You're trying to keep your players uh, like emotionally or, or just involved or, or just involved in any kind of way, but you don't know what they're going to react to and in what way. So you're always sort of just juggling like a hundred balls at once saying like, I have to keep up all 100 of these. How the hell can I do it? If at any moment the wind's going to blow or somebody's going to push me down or, you know, they're going to take one out of the air. I mean, you know, it's like, what do I do? Um, And I've said to those people, um, yes, pretty much is is that's just kind of the nature of the beast. And part of it is just getting used to it. Um, It's one of those kind of jumping into the cold pool situations where it's like, yeah, it's it's not like the most fun thing all the time. And it's really difficult. And in some cases, it's embarrassing or painful or something. But the more you do it, the more comfortable you get, if not, the better you get. And a lot of the the anxiety about it, I think, comes from not having done it. It's, it's, it's all this preemptive buildup of saying, like, what if I screwed up? What if I don't do this right? What if they don't like this? What if I can't keep this in my head? What if, what if, what if, what if? And then you get to the table, and a lot of times it's a matter of either saying, um I I give me a second to figure that out, which is fine. Or saying or pretending like you had it planned the whole time because I want to reiterate this, and we've said this before, that the players don't really know what you they had have no idea. They have no they idea unless unless you tell them. And so sometimes it can feel like, oh god, they'll know that this doesn't make sense, but there's no way for them to know. There's yeah. just no way for them to know. So it's important to remember that that I think a lot of the preemptive stress is just preemptive stress. It's not necessarily indicative of how things are going to go. Um, That being said, you know, sometimes you screw up and that's really okay. This is, this is a learning thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and when you are, you know, at the table for the first time or when you are prepping for the table for the first time in regards to improvisation, I don't feel that it's necessary to be able to pull an encounter, an NPC, a plot, a location or anything like that, out of your ass at any second. I think the best way that I have learned through experience to prep for Dungeons & Dragons uh, is to have your overall narrative. You know, where you want your players to go, what's their quest, what's their main idea, Uh, that's prepped and, like, a little flushed out, like, especially towards the beginning, you know, when you have the quest giver and that kind of thing, but I do have a pool of generic traps, challenges, combats, locations, people, merchants, like, anything, so no matter where the players go, I have at least a few different things that I can run no matter what, and a lot of the time when you have this you know, point A to point B idea in your narrative, you have this plan for the players, they will, you know, they might not go along with it, but it's your job as a DM to keep them veering towards, you know, the destination, the end. So, like, if they start getting off the tracks, having a combat that, you know, you can just pull out of your pocket and you didn't plan for it, but it's there and is ready for them... Um, and then somehow deus ex machina that into the main plot again. So, like, oh, this random goblin that attacked you actually was one of the henchmen of, you know, this big bad guy that you guys were ignoring. And then, all right, so I already used the combat, I can scrap the one I planned for later, because I've done one. Yeah. And it's yeah, the yeah, kind yeah. of thing where you are constantly switching out these puzzle pieces to make a bridge that your players will be able to get across.
1: Yeah, that's that's absolutely true, and I think that um, thinking back on the people that I spoke to, there's um, I guess there there's hesitation because when you first start, especially there's there's a lot of excitement to build like intricate sort of constructions, right? Mm-hmm. You get all excited, you say like, oh, I've got this world, and I have these people, and I have these like really really crazy interweaving storylines, and and. And angles and mysteries and all these things, which is which is great stuff of stories. And if that is what you're building, I encourage you to just write stories in that case. Um, but I think what's important to remember is that when arranging for a game like this, it's it's your job to know, like like I kind of said earlier, like almost know things at a distance, but don't be committed to anything in a very specific sense Um, I think there's some that are more troubling than others like mysteries I think are harder because they Mm -hmm. do require like place placed things at specific times and people who know things and people who don't know things and you know you will give yourself a little bit more of a challenge in doing a straight mystery but I think that what happens is is people get excited and I'm thinking of one person in particular who was really excited about doing it and you know, said, oh, I have this person who did this thing and, and they're going to know this and this person saw it and this, you know, they're there. And, and that was that was great stuff. But I think she, what, what, what she was most concerned with was that, yeah, but what if they just don't talk to this person? What if they don't ask the right question? What if they don't look in this place? What if they don't roll high enough? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if? And, and I said to her, I said, really, while it may kind of pain you in, a, in an authorial kind of way, what you have to do is is strip out as much of the detail as you almost can, right? And say what happened, like a murder happened. Okay. That it doesn't even matter at that point. It's just a murder happened of somebody important, right? That that's the kind of all you need to know. Who did it? I know this person did it. Okay. Or even maybe you don't even know who did it yet because in some cases depending on how improv'y you might have to get, sometimes it's more dramatic to have the person who you, you didn't think did it at that time, sort of, but is in the wrong place at the wrong time and the party's convinced and they have evidence that maybe you didn't think they would have or something, why not? Um, you know, and, and you say like, well, but this person knows this and if you don't go there at this time, they won't be there. And, and I think it's more useful to have something like, okay, there's 20 people in this town, three of them are going to know what happened in this capacity, this capacity, in this capacity. And it's saying, like, if they want to, this person will always give them this information if they seek them out, right? This person will always give them this information if they seek them out. This person will always give them that information if they seek them out. However, in running the possibility that they don't seek that person out, right? You say, okay, at the very least, three people have to know. So they're going to encounter somebody first and they don't know anybody and you probably get like one of these just like total I don't know anything, things before the party gets really frustrated um the second person if it's like okay this person just has to know something or this game is going to get kind of wonky and you say okay they're going to know what person what like suspect b knows and in suspect b I'm just gonna like wipe off the map they were the innkeeper now they're the blacksmith you know they were a cobbler now they're now they fish it, it doesn't really matter what the pieces are Um, as long as they feel like they're getting something out of the experience. So it's a reactive sort of game, right? Where you say like, okay, three people have to know this is what they'll know. If they seek these specific people out, I'll give it, I'll give them the information, or at least they have an easier chance of getting information. My storyline as I see it will be smoother in some way, but you always run the risk, you don't want to just like throw your players into doorways. Um, and so you say, okay. I'll give him, like, one sort of, it didn't quite work out, but the next time I've got to give him something, and that means person B is becoming this new person, and that just, it has to be that way now. Well, and that's then
0: that's the thing, is that's, like, the baseline of the improvisation of a DM is shifting parts. Yeah. Moving things around oh, we didn't get to this this time, let me repurpose that for next time, or this character they completely brushed off, or this character that was unimportant they got really involved with. So it's the kind of thing where, especially with mystery campaigns, like a lot of times, you know, the characters will accrue their own advice and jump to their own conclusions. And it's important to remember that at the end of the day, if this is a mystery story, they are the heroes, so their conclusion is right. Yeah, in now a lot of ways, that's that true. might not be the way you planned it, but like the point of running this mystery campaign is one of two things it's either to fool your party and then they got it wrong, and then there are repercussions of that, and the narrative continues, or it was for them to solve a mystery, in which case, yeah. you know, the conclusion they get to is the correct answer, and so yeah. you have to be able to roll with the punches in that regard. Now, I think that. It's important to acknowledge, regardless of how you're doing that with a mystery, the narrative always continues after the mystery is solved. Especially with d and D campaign that's long standing, it's going to be another adventure after this one. So, if they, you know, if you have them fail the mystery and they accuse the wrong person and you know execute the wrong person, there are repercussions of that, and that has to be the next thing that that party addresses. Yeah. And so. I think that the important thing to remember when improvising is don't be afraid to repurpose things, shift things around, allow it to fit the narrative the party is creating because where their minds are going and what they are believing is where the story is headed, regardless of what you had planned. So you have to pull the story in front of them. So you have to constantly... Yeah. It's like, you know, you're leading a mule with a carrot on a stick, right? Except the mule has, like, really, really poor attention span, so it keeps, like, veering <laughs> off and looking at, like, grass and rocks and shit, so you keep having to move the carrot in front of its face. Um yeah. So, like, you have to always be able to shift everything over to them. Um, I think that a mystery is probably the most important and most, like, kind of complex way to have improvisation in your uh setting. I think, yeah. like... A lot of the times, it's a lot less convoluted than that. When sure, you have oh like, yeah,
1: that was an extreme example. Like, I, That I was totally a very extreme that.
0: example. Um, like, a lot of times you'll have like, oh, these people go to a town, and I planned for a weapons merchant, an armor merchant, an um, apothecary, and like the town guard, and then the mayor. But they're like, you know what? I really want to go to a library. Is there a bookseller in this town? And you're like, shit, I didn't plan for a bookseller. There is but now. <laughs> there is now this apothecary personality, everything about this apothecary. Now they sell books instead. That's all you yeah. have to do. Is you you repurpose what you've already built. Don't let things go to waste just because your party is ignoring them.
1: Yeah, I mean, th- this is this is this is going to be contentious in some way, and I and I accept that. Because on one on one side, there's obviously a camp of people who are going to say like, no, like I'm building a world, right? And that world is not contingent upon the the, the players in, in some way, right? Like if I said that this isn't a place that's going to have a library because it's like, I don't know, it's not a place to have a library for one reason or another. Then it's I'm not going to put one in just because they want one. They have to accept that their reality does not come to fruition every time that Ooh. that is one mentality, right? On the other side... It is. I I am hesitant to be satisfied with a response to a player question that basically says that that the question is like, what do you want to do, and then my response to the same question is no, you're not allowed to do that. Like, mm-hmm. it's it, they're not asking for anything crazy in a lot of cases. Um, oftentimes the the assumptions and questions are fairly mundane and the only time things get starting, they they start to get out of control in some way is when you start giving them like stricter and stricter parameters and they get angry or frustrated or restless Mm. and they start sort of lashing out. Um, You know, I'm thinking about, I, I, I recently ran a sort of setup campaign, setup session for a new campaign that I'm going to run with, with you and everybody else. And it was, Mm-hmm. It was it was tricky for a number of sort of technical reasons, but I had set up a story, and I hadn't set up like much of a story, but I kind of knew who was who, and I you know whatever whatever, and there were times I was thinking where they wanted to do things, and I just said like, no that's not there that's here or like no you don't find you know, and I'm just wondering it's like I don't really have a good reason for why I said no, other yeah. than I didn't initially think that that was there, but. It doesn't really change anything. And just because I wanted it to be, say, I don't know, uh, a more drawn out sort of thing where I said, well, they have to sabotage this or they have to steal this or they have to fight this. There's no particular reason why I, I couldn't have just said, um, yeah, it's out front or yeah, they're there instead of no, they're not there. You got to go find them and kind of draw it out, even though they're kind of they're going to get to that same point anyway. Um, And then, you know, this is a sort of principle in in writing stories in general that I've I've thought a lot about where it's there's something um, toxic isn't the right word, but uh, I don't know. You'll be chasing this down kind of endlessly where if you set out to write a story that has one specific goal, right, it's I'm going to get to point B and only point B if it kills me, then you have a singular road to success right? You can only write it in this one way. You can only build it so that these, these, uh, epiphanies come up in this way. You have exactly, exactly in an infinite pool, one road to success. However, if what you're saying is I want to create a scenario that is interesting to my players, or I'm writing a story that's going to be interesting to readers, you know, in a divergent sort of way of thinking, um, then what you say is I'm going to set up a scenario and I'm going to see what they want to do and then when they want to do something I'm going to just try to say yes and see what happens because if they want to but like you sort of think right if, if you have a mystery just to go back to this because we were talking about it, if you have a mystery it, it, it's only a kind of a mystery provided the person who's investigating it wants it to sort of be a specific kind of mystery right because it's equally likely that if the wrong person stumbles across this mystery, you don't get a mystery. You get like a crime thriller. You get like a mafioso story. You get like one person suspicious and they just get killed. And then the story goes from there, right? So, okay, now somebody has been killed. What are the repercussions for this? And I think that's more at the heart of improv. It's it's In some way, it's less about trying to, and, and you can do this and it, it can be effective, it's, it's some way less about trying to shoehorn the players into the area you want them to be in and the pen you want them to be in. And it should be said that, like I said, I had a lot of luck, sort of you guys ended up there a lot anyway. But more about saying like, here's the situation. How does this group of people decide to handle it? Okay. Now what happens? You know, if they yeah. want to pursue this in a peaceful manner. Okay. Okay. We can pursue this in a peaceful manner. If you want to just go out and cave this person's face in, okay, you can do that. But now there's a repercussion to that. And so that's the well, sort of improvisational part to me that's important to remember.
0: And and that's the thing is like, you know, I joke a lot. I've been joking a lot tonight um, before we were recording and everything about the idea of, you know, the first rule of improv being yes and. yeah And I mean, although it's like, you know, easy to goof on or whatnot. It is it is true. Like, when you are a DM, and when you are improv- in, improvising this story, and you are, you know, creating this narrative for your players, because that's what you're doing it for, is you're yeah. doing it for these players, you have to say yes and not to, like you were saying before, not to everything. So not if, like, this guy's like, I want a library in this town, and you're like, no, this town wouldn't have a library for X, Y, and Z reason, then you don't say yes to them. But if they're like, oh we don't really care about this thing, we actually want to investigate this other thing that you mentioned offhand. You're, it's your job as the DM to yes and that situation, and be like, okay, so we have found my player's motivation, we found what's interesting to them, we found what they want to do, and yeah. so now I'm going to continue along that vein.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, this is another part, like like combat, where... That, that can really turn players off is, is when they, they have discovered in a game something that excites them and they're not allowed to pursue it. Exactly. Because well, then that's the, the thing. The person who running it, who's running it didn't have that prepared and that's frustrating. Like We've, yeah. we've both been there. Like, it's difficult I've... to all of a sudden have to come up with something totally new. I'm not even going to try to make the claim that it's easy.
0: No, but it's you're, you're,
1: at a, you're at a crossroads because it's either you're saying, I preserve my story and hope that somewhere along the line, the players pick up interest again, or I say, well, I know what they want. Let's see where it takes them. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I think there's a, to it's... to my mind, it's a poor mentality to say, this is my story and you're the players in it. So much as this is the player's story, I think is maybe exactly. a little, a and... little healthier.
0: And that's, and that's the truth of it. And, like, so here's the thing. is like, I, I normally function in two uh, major ways in this regard. I will either yes and everything the players do. And I'll be like, I will have nothing planned. I will have some generic dungeon maps. I will have some generic NPCs. And I'll have some generic encounters. And I will let their actions and the direction they're pulling the story color the world. And... Over time, with playing, with reading and watching a lot of fantasy, playing a lot of video games, any kind of media that you consume in this genre, you gain the ability to be like, oh, well, like here's how this thing would be described, like stereotypically or within this subgenre or whatnot. So yeah. you can, like, more than you realize as a DM or as a you know member of the subculture of like you know fantasy nerdum and whatnot, you have more at your disposal than you acknowledge. And, like, there is no issue at all with using anything you've ever read as inspiration. Using anything you've ever watched as inspiration. So, like, when your players start going down this narrative that you didn't really flesh out, it's important to just be like, oh, well, like, let's see, this was a cool setting in this book I read, so let me start describing the world in those kind of terms and try to convey that kind of message. And, like, it happens... I do it almost every time. Like there are certain tropes and aesthetics that I am really, 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 really into that show up over and over again in campaigns. I.e., canal cities. Yep. Always canal. It's always a canal city. Always. Oh my god! It's because it's so cool. Um, (laughs) I do the same kind of um, like dungeons. Like I do a lot of. I'm trying to branch out, but I, you know, a lot of times it's the stereotypical. brick wall basement of a fortress dungeon yeah and like i've you know i like i said i've been trying to branch out i've been finding trying to find new stuff the setting is always warm it's always tropical or swampy like just just because that's where i want to live cuz i hate the cold but <laughs> like it's the kind of thing where you have those generic things. Like, the fact that it takes place in a rainforest versus a, you know, tundra is sort of irrelevant to the narrative. So that's where you improvise. That's where you build um, as you go along, and you just have your main bullet points for them to follow. So you yes-and them through this world with the big... ...bullet points, you know, if they ignore them, that's fine. You just keep going and you build the story to what they want. Hopefully you'll have the time in between sessions to kind of tailor. That's that's option one. For me, option two, like Ben said many times before, they don't know what you planned. They don't know (laughs) what, you know, they don't know what you prepared. So I'll come in with my storyline, and they will ignore the first point of it and go somewhere else... Guess what? That somewhere else is still going to lead right back (laughs) to point two on my storyline. So, like, no matter what decision they make, it's gonna come back. And so, like, if I had, you know, let's say I planned six events in the night, and the party goes through the first event, and then when you get to the second event, they're just like, no, we're not gonna bother with that, we're gonna do something else. Well, guess what? The next event they're going to is going to link them right back to event 3 that I had planned. Yeah. And the I, I, the yeah. idea the idea with improv is being able to weave those kind of um events into each other. Like transitions are the biggest part of improv because you have to get players from point A to point B and sometimes you can't plan for how they're going to get from point A to point
1: B. Yeah. I, I want to return to what you said too, um because I think that what you said about well, a um, about ju- just pulling it's important to to remember that just about just pulling your sort of reference bases out when you need it um, and it doesn't matter necessarily where you're pulling it from I mean, your players might recognize it you know as this or that and, and that's fine. Um, but I think I think sometimes it's that's cool sometimes it is cool and especially in a, in a setting that's unusual for it, you know you're pulling in star Trek to DD as like your basis, like you're probably going to wind up with a cool little amalgamation of things. And that's fine. Um, because remember it is just a game, right? This isn't like, you're not trying to produce like an original manuscript for publication. It's, it's like, it's a game you're playing with your friends or at least people you are presumably friendly with. Um, mm. and so I wanted to, I wanted to say that, you know, the moment, I, I think this part of the fear of improv in the moment, you know, once you've, once you've passed that apprehensive You have what writers refer to as the editorial voice, okay? And what this means is is it's it's, it's basically what writer's block is. It's principally the same, and I've heard a lot of writers say there's no such thing as writer's block. There's only your unwillingness to be honest about what you like. That's it. That's the key point, right? You're trying to do something that is either beyond your taste or beyond your skill that isn't necessarily syncing up with your natural tendencies, and so you're you're angry with yourself. And you don't want to pursue something, and and what happens is is you you basically start to think this isn't cool enough. Ooh. That's sort of what's happening, right? It's not that you don't know. If if push comes to shove, if someone put a gun to your head, you could describe a castle off the top of your head. You could tell a uh, uh, a story to your niece or nephew who's six years old, just five minutes. Just in a pinch, if you had to, just I don't know, come up with nothing. They weren't, they were barely awake anyway. It was just you were just talking, right? You could do it. You, you yeah. could do it in your in in the silence of your own bedroom. You can do it, and obviously you can do it because probably you've written this whole complicated story already. So you have the storytelling ability. The concern there is. You believe what you worked on and edited and crafted and did all these things to is cool. And you're confident in it because you've run it through the ringer. Really, you've just you think you've weeded out all these things. You've made it smoother. You've made it sharper. You've made it more fun. All these things. And you think if I'm left to my own devices where I can't tailor myself in the moment what they're they're going to laugh at me, they're going to think God, that's kind of dumb. God, that's not dramatic. God, that's not funny. God, that's, I don't know, boring. God, that's whatever. And and I would urge you know to maybe, be conscious enough to not be just malicious in reaction to what players do. Though again, if they commit a public murder or something, like well, you know, they left you in a kind of a very small boat in some regard. But I think I think it's important to remember that it's it's it is a skill. It has to be developed. But I think a lot of what you're developing is the ability to by will and by sort of a laissez-faire devil-may-care attitude push open those editorial gates before you even get them sort of started right so so you just say like uh they're gonna do this i'm just gonna the first thing that comes to my head i'm going to run with it. i'm just going to do it and i found that Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But that's no less true of the stuff you plan, right? That's equally as true. I have planned stuff that I thought would be great, and nobody even cared. And I have improv mm-hmm. things that, in the moment, I thought this is really stupid, and they've become things people said like, "Wow, that was actually really cool." You know, yeah. I I, I remember specifically there was a there was a in our campaign there was a moment where you you were going through basically like a haunted house of challenges and something had, Oh, something had happened that had basically rendered one of the rooms useless. Somebody rolled just really well on something. and, And basically the library became useless. There was nothing there to do anymore. And I thought, shit, I mean, it's already there. I told them the libraries that they know it's there. I can't take it away. So the whole time I said, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I couldn't come up with anything. And then somebody says, I want to go in the library. And I was like, God kill me like I don't even know what's in this room anymore there's no challenge in here and so I knew I had to come up with something because I couldn't take it away so there I, what I came up with in the moment and it was the first thing that I thought of was there was basically um, um, somebody I think you actually your character put on these like oh no you, what you saw was uh, a, like a shifting you could hear it first and then see eventually a shifting sort of monster made of papers and books and things yeah, and, and somebody said like, "Oh shit, is that the bookkeeper?" And I was like, "Yeah, dude, absolutely. That's that's what it's called." Yep. that's the library. That's what yeah. It we is. were like,
0: "That's the librarian." Yeah, and we were fighting. It was essentially like the Pokemon Muck, but instead of yeah. made of purple goo, it was made out of books. Basically, and like, we were just like, "Oh, everyone, be quiet. Yeah, you, you can't be loud in the library. Yeah. everyone has to be respectful and quiet." And yeah. we were we were obeying library rules. Ben yeah. hadn't planned
1: that. I had no idea when they were like, "We have to be quiet." I was like, "Oh, sh- yes, you do. That's a good. That was a good thought you had. That you you read my mind. You have to be quiet in a library." And I was like, "Thank God they did it for me." And then so it came to this point where somebody was being really loud, and I was like, "Librarian's coming after you now." And it's like all of a sudden I had this sort of like monstrous encounter that I didn't even see coming. And then somebody, for one reason or another, was like looking for secret passages behind books, and I said like, "I don't." have any idea what the hell this is like I don't know and but they wanted to find something they said like well it's gonna be really disappointing to them if they find nothing it's also kind of like not it's not a very good adventure story when you start mucking around in the bookshelves and it's just like it's just a bookshelf it's like it's a magic library there's no like secret door and I was like well all right. I'm just gonna yes and this and I said roll perception just on the off or roll investigation just on the off chance that they rolled really poorly and I could just say no They rolled well. They rolled like a 16 or something, and I said, "Yeah, you find something. You find a book that resonates with magic." And they were like, "Cool." I pull it, and I was like, "Okay, well, at least I have them hooked." And they were like, "I open." All right, they either pull the book or they open the book, and I they were like, "What happens?" And I was like, "Well, it's in the middle of the room. I can't have it open a door necessarily." I said, "It opens a portal," and I was like, "The first thing that came to mind." I was like, "I was like, where does it go?" And their next question was like, "Cool, where does it go?" And and i was like well do you stick your head in to look and they were like yeah and i was like okay so i had it ultimately lead to the what you would might call the boss room right yeah so where the wraith that owned this mansion lived and in in a sense i had undercut the whole point because you'd been collecting keys to get in this room and all of a sudden i just gave you a portal in now for all you knew that was in there the whole time, and it was one of many ways to get in, and it could have subverted all of the challenges you wouldn't have to go through. I mean, it was for all you knew, it was an easy path if you could find it. You had, you're none the wiser. I was a little worried I had sort of undercut my own point, but it didn't seem to bother anybody. And then I said like, "Okay," and they said, "Okay, pull my head out," and I was like, "You can't," and they were like, "What?" I was like, "You can't pull your head out. You're stuck there. You can only go forward." And I was like, "Like, ah, uh, shit." But somebody else didn't know that, and they tackled them through the portal. And so now you have two people separated in the boss room, basically, and the portal closes. And so that was all improvised, right? And it turned out really well. It didn't really matter that I had kind of undercut the point because everyone was all of a sudden like, oh, my fucking God, we have to get in there, you know? And what it meant yeah. was is you only had two of the keys at that point. And so you opened two of the locks. So I said, yeah, well, you can pick the last one. And it's you've saved yourself some time of getting in there by not having to do two of the locks. And it was like, oh shit, okay, good. And so, you know, people were picking locks and it was really kind of intense for a moment. And but it, it turned out fine. It like really genuinely turned out fine. And and honestly, like I thought when I said what that librarian was, people are gonna be like, ah, oh, that's kinda dumb. Like, I, I you're not even people who would say that kind of stuff. And I was worried that you were gonna be like, oh, that's kinda weird, kinda stupid. Uh, that and was then the like... first thing that was said was like, ah, oh, that's really cool. I was like, is it? Good, okay. And, like, and and I think you, yeah. have to, you have to take the jumps off that cliff sometimes and trust your gut a little bit. Because, like I said, you have just as much probability of making something uninteresting with a planned session as you do with a completely improvised one.
0: Well, exactly. And, like, knowing your players is a key part in that. In the sense that, like, so any of you who listened to last week's episode will know that Ben and I uh, don't care for combat.
1: Not not traditional combat,
0: yeah. Yeah, that being said, um, the party I'm currently running for uh, are really stoked on it. Like, I remember I started running with these guys in college, and we now uh, run on a webcam and do that whole deal. But uh, back in college, like, it was some of their first campaigns ever, and the first time I got into combat, I wanted it to just be a, like, quick toe-in-toe-out because, like, I thought they weren't going to like it. And they sunk their teeth into it, and, like, that's been their favorite part consistently, is just, like, fucking dudes up in battle, and I was like, okay, like, I they still like the narrative, they still like the role-playing, I still do all the stuff I enjoy to DM, but, like, when a combat comes, it I just make it, like, bigger and more serious and more intense and grandiose than I normally do, because they love it, and, like, yeah. s- the ultimate, you know, Um, Feet in improvisation is showing up to a session blind. And it's not something I would ever recommend, um, (laughs) but, like, just walking into a room full of people that you're about to DM for and knowing in the back of your head you did not even think about it until your foot stepped through the door. So, like, I've done that, and one of the times with this party, I knew they got stoked on combat. They, like, hyped each other up, and they're, you know, they just, like, just a bunch of bros getting hype on beaten dudes. (laughs) And so, like, (laughs) Uh, It was just cracking a cold one, beating some dudes, and, like, so I didn't have a a, a session ready. I had nothing planned. They had just, um, they were doing this, like, long-term, uh, rebellion in this city where they were, like, slowly liberating chunk after chunk of the city, kind of, like... Uh, You know, like, a lot of video games do, where it's like, oh, you changed section section one from red to blue, and now it's all your friends there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get section two as well. Like, it was that kind of campaign. And I had nothing. I had nothing planned. And I was just like, um, okay, you guys and the refugees just relocated, and the bad guy's army is waiting for you! (laughs) And, like, apparently there were spies in their camp that, like, told the antagonist's forces where they were so there was this huge army and like the players were just like yes they (laughs) uh roused the farmer refugees to like take up arms against this army and they just sprinted into combat and it was an entire session that was um like an extended skill challenge combat where like they had to do like a narrative uh, speech challenge where they had to, like, pump everyone up. They had to do a skill challenge to weave their way through battle to get to the general. They had a pretty intense combat fighting the general, and then they had to, like, role play and skill check post-battle and, like, make all these decisions. What do we do with the prisoners? What do we do with this and this? We don't technically have an army yet. There's no organization. And so, like, it ended up being one of the coolest moments because... Uh, we were just, like, it was after the combat. Like, they were all stoked on, you know, fighting all day. Um, and it was after the combat, and I just, like, offhandedly mentioned some looters. And now, my party was, like, lawful good, uh, paladin, pretty mostly good, (laughs) um, uh, whatchamacallit, warlock, a... Pretty, also pretty good, I think, cleric, and then the last one was, like, neutral evil, chaotic evil, almost, like, maybe, maybe a little bit more on the neutral side, but he was, like, an ex-pirate, and, like, he was, like, a mean person, and, like, bullied people, <laughs> took advantage of people, like, he was a, he was a dick, and it worked with the party because he was, like, they liked him and everything, but, like, he was kind of, like, a mean, like, intimidate kind of bully guy. Sure. And he sees these looters that I, like, didn't even think about, and he, like, starts picking fights with them, like, what are you guys doing? We got more important stuff. And what ended up happening is, like, through that interaction that I had not planned, I did not have any idea for, he recruited all of these, like, brigand looters by, like, alpha-dogging them to being, like, the requisitions and supply unit in the army they were building. So, like... And then after that, it was a whole new function in the campaign where each of them got to hand-pick and hand-train specialized units in the army and everything. And we were working with, like, you know, big army combat and stuff like that. So it was really fun and really cool. And it came out of just like me letting him roll with this random comment I made that I did not really put any you know second thought to. It was just something to kind of show the grimness of the situation and he took it and, like, ran with it in a really cool
1: way. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great little story about it. Um, it's impressive you could do it. I, I'm actually tempted to do it more in the future just because because I think that more often than not i end up having to run most of the campaigns off the cuff anyway, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, if I'm ever going to plan anything anymore, what I do is I say, like, where are they probably going to end up going? What's it look like? Mm-hmm. I'll give a lot of physical description of things. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say, like, if if I'm positive they're going to encounter some characters, like there's almost no way around it, I'll say like oh, like give me I'll give a couple details about what they look like, what they act like, and maybe if it's important, some uh, relationship elements between this character and this character. I may not even end up using it, but it's worth knowing. That's like well, if it comes up, if if they want to bribe this person. How much would it take kind of thing? You know, I mean, some little details, um, you know, being able to predict what sort of stuff your party can do or wants to do is a great tool. Um, Take some time and they'll always surprise you. Um, But I also want to say this, and we're going to do an episode later down the road about party mechanics, like interpersonal stuff, like player to player, etiquette, these kinds of things, dynamics, problems with role playing and, and the game when it comes to, person to person contact and but to this point I want to say that um everybody who runs the game everybody who plays the game obviously but everybody who runs the game is putting themselves out there in a big way saying like this is what I like this is what I think this is what I think is interesting this is the way I want to I want to this is how serious I am this is how funny I am this is how weird I am I mean you're putting a lot of yourself in it and you're saying, like, these are where my preferences are and, and so on and so forth. And I think that it's an unfortunate truth that not every group of people is going to like what every person brings to the game. Right. So yes. now there's 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 some ways around it. Right. If you're close friends with people, you know, oftentimes there's a little more give and take. You say, like, let's do this a little bit. I'll give you a little bit. And everyone just says, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's most of the fun I'm having here is hanging out with you but you still have to accept that sometimes there's people who play the game in a way that you just aren't into um you run the game in a way that people aren't into you know this group is is very combat focused and there's people who really who 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 dislike the combat element more than we do i think you're probably more willing to give it than i necessarily am in some ways i i don't know if i'd be that interested in running like a very combat heavy thing and it's not their fault it's not my fault it's just as DM that's not my preference and I don't know that I'd be very good at it my natural inclination is not um, I don't have the the sort of I don't know like planning power involved with being like okay I can understand how an army works I can understand it's, it's not in my knowledge base for lack of a better yeah. term and I think that to some degree there are just going to be people who get along with your campaign better than others and sometimes that means like it's nothing against you. I just don't think you like what I like. You know. You know. You you in a moment of improv where you say like, th- like go back to the like the bookkeeper example. You say like uh, this, and everyone just goes that's really stupid. And you said like, well, I mean, I guess I thought of it. Like, I must not think it's that bad an idea. There is a group yeah. that's going to say, oh, that's really rad. I'm into that idea. And a group of people that's going to say that's dumb. I don't even want to be in this room anymore. And while you know you shouldn't just you know run out the second somebody doesn't like your idea. I think it's important to remember that because it is such a social game and there's so much narrative and narrative is so inter like interpersonally and intrapersonally revealing. There's just groups that don't gel for one reason or another. We don't follow We don't like the same media. We don't like you like really serious campaigns. I don't like really serious campaign. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a point at which I can't meet you in the middle enough. And so yeah. Well, some some of this some of the anxiety about improv is you don't think your friends are going to like what you do. And the truth is sometimes they won't. And that's just kind yeah. of the, the part of it. And you have to be willing to accept that. And also you have to be willing to say that in that group, sometimes maybe there's just people who like what I do better. And maybe somebody else can take up the reins and start their own game and do what they want to do in that game. And people can say, I actually am more interested in combat today, I'm more interested in the social day. I'm more interested in a serious game today, and, you know, mix it around a little bit.
0: And and that's the thing, is, like, every DM does have their style. For um, myself, I have really grim, dark settings. Yeah. I do, like, consistently, like, gothic, plague-ridden, yeah. like, it's always nighttime cities. Yeah. But also, like... I'm a ham, I'm like a huge fucking goofball, so <laughs> I can't roleplay, you know, NPCs that are like that, so it's this really dark setting, and this a lot of like serious weird stuff going on, and like uncomfortable stuff going on, with these like ridiculous silly cartoon characters, and yeah. I mean, the easiest way to kind of conceptualize it is like, it is similar to... One of my favorite TV shows, Adventure Time, in the sense that, like... And a lot of those, like, not-quite-only-for-kids cartoons... Yeah. ...where it's, like, you know, oh, they're, like, funny, silly, happy characters, and they're easy to digest, like, you know, the good guy wins narratives, but then you take a second to, like, really look at the overarching story and, like, look at the world they live in, and it's, like, really, really messed up.
1: Yeah.
0: And, like... It's it's I true. think that you works have that. for me. It but works like, for you. It's it's, not for it's everyone. your natural
1: tendency. It's not for everyone. Exactly. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It's just not for everybody. Like any yeah. other form of media. You know, like the books you like are not always the books I like.
0: And I mean yeah. I'm talking
1: specifically about like Scott and myself. Like Scott and I are like in the fantasy genre, we're sort of we sort of get there together. But the books yeah. Scott reads, I just can't read them. They're not my style. They're not bad I books. Read I read like super bull- dense. I fully accept that the books Scott reads are great books. They're not for me in a lot of cases, and and we've traded back and forth on a couple of things, but that's just part of the experience. Is that it's it's nerve wracking, and but once you get over that hump, you want to feel as though your sort of inner imagination and creativity is is appreciated, right? Certainly. Um, if you're just getting battered. There's only so many backbends you can really do, to change what you want to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like Scott said, like he likes the grim dark stuff and he likes cartoonish characters. If I said Scott, I'm not going to give you a choice. You have to write me, like a a, like a super high fantasy, very serious, political campaign.
0: Could I? Th- I would do I rip do I, my I, lips off well, of my face? Here's the
1: thing, Jesus Christ. the The <laughs> truth is, I think you can do it. I also think you'd be miserable. Yeah. And that's the point I'm making: is there are people who love that shit. They would sit there and they would write political thrillers all day, all night. It's their thing. And so, yeah. if you are that person, you say, "I'm writing this like intricate political thriller. It's going to be all that intrigue and espionage." And and, and, and like, you know, countries at conflict and big scale and small scale and all these things. And then your players are like, man, you know what I really wanted to do? Just, like, fucking crack a goblin skull. Like, <laughs> there's only so much you can do to meet them in that way. And there's only so much they're going to do to meet you.
0: Well, and 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 here's the thing with that. If, I, if my life and my uh, experience in D&D is any, um, you know, kind of way to gauge this, a lot of times it's hard to regularly meet with a group. It's yeah. hard to find people. It's not like there are five D&D groups in every town and you can just like leave your current group and go find another one. So like, unless you live in a city or are very well connected in the scene or have a very large community near you, it is not always the kind of thing where you can just be like oh, I don't like how this person DMs. I'm going to find another group. Sure. So Part of it is, like, as a DM, sometimes making those campaigns that do make you want to rip your lips off your face and just that you hate so much for the sake of your players. Yeah. And other times as a player, it's, you know, you just sit back and be like, well, at least I get to play. Like, and that's a kind of shitty way to look at it, and that's not that's not the phrasing I want to use. No, but, but like,
1: it's not ideal, but it's the truth. I mean, sometimes who you have... Are people who want to play the game, but that's kind of as far as it goes. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But yeah. sometimes that's the reality. And there's there's websites you can go to. I think like what is it? Meetup.com or something is like, mm-hmm. you know, you can find gaming groups on there. And and there's obviously people who do online sessions. So I mean, you know, yeah. the ability to do like over the internet gaming sessions, um, I, I've seen them on, you know, forums and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. you, you can do cool. that. Is it ideal? Yeah. Maybe, maybe not, you know, but But this but this is the thing
0: is like as long as no one's lying about their roles five E is theater of the mind anyway and Google Hangouts is free. Yeah. So like that's how I do it. I do Google Hangouts. I I know Roll Twenty uh is a really cool system. It's a really, really well made system. The problem is there's a learning curve to it. Yeah. Like you have to sit down and learn how to use it like any other computer program that's, you know, advanced technology, which it is. It's advanced. It's intense. And so, like, I prefer to just theater of the mind, dice rolls, and Google Hangouts, and it works really well. And, yeah. you know, we yep. there are some times where people get confused about what's going on, and I'll draw up a quick map and hold it up to my webcam, and they'll be like, oh! But, like, <laughs> other than that, it's normally, like, pretty fine.
1: Yeah, I, and I just, I think that there are more options than people realize, and I, I, I don't, I want, I want people to remember, like, this is, like, a game, because I don't think it feels like a game, and that's why it's yeah. troublesome. It's hard to handle, because it doesn't feel like a game. It's not like there's a board with rules, and you put your pieces down, and you, I mean, actually, when you, when I'm describing it, it is a game. You put a board with some pieces down, you roll some dice, and you do some stuff. You take actions. In that way, then when in that way it's a game. But when you actually get into playing it, it just doesn't feel like a game. It feels like performance. You know, it feels like mathematical performance in a lot of ways. And one person is responsible for so very much. And unlike a game though, that is pre-built where you can say, I don't like the game, and that sort of aggression or dislike just gets put onto a non existent you know, game designer somewhere in the ether of the world, right? What you instead get is that gets put on you as the DM. Uh, Very potentially a friend of the other people at the table. And it hurts, right? It does. And so all of a sudden there's this kind of like, oh, God, like I feel like crap. I don't want to do this. They don't like what I do. They don't even like what I plan. Why are they going to like what I just come up with in the moment? Um, And but this goes back to it's, it's in a lot of ways it's a matter of listening. It's about saying like what do my players want and how far can I meet them? Um, there's going to come a point very likely in some ways where you just say like, I just don't have it in me to do this. Like, I'm sorry. Like I just, this is not at all interesting to me. Um, and in that way you've reached something of an impasse. I mean, like, like any other, you know, some people are friends, but they don't like the same music, you know, like, sorry, I just hate it. Like, I don't like, I don't dislike you. I just dislike it. And in the same way, it's, it's a game. It's a type of game. You cannot dislike the person in front of you, but very much dislike what they're doing in the game. And um, I want to to stress that again, that that you're not obligated to stick with people. And that a lot of the anxiety from improv might come from you don't know if these people are gonna really care for what you have to say and what you have to do. And it happens it happens it happens to me all the time. I mean, yeah. I got friends who are critical and it's like, man, I don't wanna get ragged on for this thing I thought was at least like cohesive, you know, it's like, I'm trying to run, I'm trying to do a nice thing here, like, don't, you know, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, is,
0: like, I know, um, sometimes in our campaigns, the lines between role-playing and actual, you know, comments gets blurred because everyone's jumping in and out of character so constantly, yeah. and also, like, sometimes it just seems like, you know, it just seems mean-spirited, and it sucks, it sucks to be in that DM seat and have worked hard on either, you know, honing the improv skills you need or planning this thing out, you know, section sec, second by second, and people are hating on what's going on. And all of a sudden it's just like, well, listen, like, you guys don't understand, might not understand as a player versus a DM that, like, we play for four hours a week, right? But I plan for 16 hours leading <laughs> up to this to yep. make sure it's going to work. And I play test and I dig through all these books and all these articles online, and I look up all this stuff, and I read fantasy and watch fantasy and play fantasy games constantly to get more inspiration, to get more pieces of this puzzle that I want to build for you. And when you're coming into my game and... Well, when you're coming into our game and, like, being like, oh, well, this is kind of lame, like, I don't really care about this, that fucking hurts. It's really shitty.
1: It It hurts, and it's also, like... <sighs> The question arises, you know, then if you don't like it, why are you here then? You know, it's like, and and sometimes the answer is just like, I want to hang out with my friends. And it's like, I appreciate that. Genuinely, I do. And in some cases, these sessions are the only time people can hang out with their friends. But it also sort of raises the question. It's like, this is a specific thing. You know, it's like, we're going rowing. And you say, like, I want to come. And then you say like, okay, but like, you know, you got to do rowing stuff. It's hard, you know, they say fine. And then the whole time they're like, rowing sucks. It's like, yeah, for you, you know, if you don't like it, don't do it. You know, there's, there's hopefully, can't say for certain, but there's other times to see people you want to see and engage them in, in fun. But for some people who are like, like, you and I have always been really into the game, and not all of our friends have yeah. been. But there's been kind of a exactly. recent resurgence of interest. However, I yeah. think that, like, we've always been into, like, the game as a game. And I think yeah. some, some of the people we know, I'm not trying to cast shade, I'm really excited that they're playing, and I've had a lot of fun with them. They're more interested yeah. in hanging out with each other. Which is, like, great. I'm glad yeah. we're all friends and hanging out with each other. But, there's also a game to be played. And if you're not interested in the game, I don't care. I just don't want you to feel like you have to show up and then not be happy while you're doing it. And then while I'm trying to build this thing and run off the cuff and really be brave on the moment, you know, you get sort of slammed back for it. And I think a lot of DMs yeah. feel that they will. And it it dissuades you from wanting to improv at all. You think, God, all they're yeah. going to do is criticize me. And what yeah. the hell's the fun well, of that?
0: And that's the thing is, like, I think that it's important to acknowledge that, like, A lot of times, the problem we have most often in our friend group is we have, you know, too many people that are like, oh yeah, I want to play. And they don't. They want to hang out. Yeah. But, like, what happens is we have these giant parties with people who are only, you know, half invested. And because of that, nothing gets done. And then the people that, like, could have been fully invested and, like, had a really intensive campaign get pulled halfway out, too. So, like... It's the kind of thing where, and I don't think that's a unique situation. It's what's been going on my entire D and D career with all of the groups I've played with. It's always how it goes. It's like, unless you have four people that are locked in, ready to go, it's it's gonna be like that. It's going to be it's going to be like slightly pulled out and just hanging with friends, which I think is fine. I think that's totally a part of it. I think that's totally acceptable as long as you're not like acting like trying to act cool, and, like, hmm. that's kind of a, that's kind of a banal way to put it, but, like, the point is, like, you know, being, like, oh, I'm so over this thing, like, I just want to, like, drink some beers and hang with my friends, and it's like, all right, well, then, just, like, why'd you roll a character, brah? Um,
1: so, <laughs> a little and bit. I mean... And, and this, this is, we're getting into the sort of player part of this, and I, I didn't necessarily mean to, but I don't know that the, the two are, I don't know that you can untangle the two quite enough to not bring them in because I think that all the, the fear about improvisation much like improving on a stage is you're so worried people will think you're dumb like it's as yeah. easy as that people just think you're dumb and what you like is dumb and what you think is funny is dumb what you think is interesting and important is dumb and you don't want to say it it's it's just like a basic honesty issue and it's unfortunate but it's it's a social game at its core and at the very least, the best thing you can do for yourself is hunt down players that want to be having the same kind of experience as you. And if it's super casual, that's fine. If that's yeah. what everybody wants. But if you want to play the game, you want to have people who want to play the game. And yeah. in that way, and, and who want to be active in the game, and like, oh, I, I, my character wants this, so when this comes up, they'll do this. And then you, you say, okay, well, that's what you choose to do. And you as the DM can step back and say, like, I'm allowing my players to build this story. And I'm going to tell them what the repercussions for their actions are, describe what they see, but I'm going to allow them to do what they want. Um, and then they're happy and it allows you, you know, you have to do some mental yeah. gymnastics, but it allows you a constant supply of knowledge about what will keep it interesting for them, and that's very satisfying as a DM. I think I think DMs yeah. want that. But
0: that's and that's and that's the point. I will say that one tool that has helped me, believe it or not, is um, running the web chat games, running mm. the Google Hangout games. Like when I get those four players in, we have not honestly we haven't played in like a month and a half, and I feel really bad about that. <laughs> um, And it's, like, half my schedule because I am a wage laborer, so I don't have a regular schedule. Everyone else is on, you know, big boy job time where they're working 9 to 5, and my schedule keeps flopping. One of our other players is in grad school, which is fucking crazy and hard to schedule (laughs) for. So, like, it's the kind of thing where we have to, like, we were originally weekly and we have to cancel all the time, but... When we were going strong, mm-hmm. because of all of that, because of how difficult it was to pull everyone together and get the time, and because like normally we'd have to start playing at eight, and then like we'd have to start stop around ten thirty because people had like you know bedtimes because they had to get up at six a.m. for work <laughs> the next day, so like we we had that very small time and that very specific window and that very yep. unique situation. Everyone logged in ready to fucking play, and they were in character the entire time, because they wanted to get as much as they could out of it. Yeah. So when you have those, like, long sessions like we do oftentimes in person, I think they're great. I think they're really exciting. I think they're really fun. I I love spending an entire day playing Dungeons & Dragons. (laughs) It's so much fun to me. Like, it's, I I just cannot get beyond it. But, like, sometimes if you want to run that, like, really narrative-focused, really pulled-in, strong campaign, it's better to do it like, all right, once a week, three hours, at this time, in person or online, we are going to meet and play, and that's our time. That's it. And that way, you know, that way people are serious, they're showing up ready to play, you're making a commitment to it. Because when it's just like, oh, when we can all hang out, we'll play it's kind of just like oh we're just all hanging out and yeah. it might as well be monopoly yeah. but when you're making a commitment you're you're it's you're able to craft that narrative
1: well you make it special and i think that like yeah. you said when it is special people want to pay attention they want to be involved and i think that those are the times when that improvisational energy is going to flow most freely when you feel like what you're doing is interesting and appreciated and is as much about what is being said as what is being listened to it, it, There's a nice sort of synchronous atmosphere that happens, but it's, it's a challenging thing to get. And I, it has a lot to do with, you know, people, uh, the people you're yeah. playing with. And, and I, I don't, you know, I don't want you to, you know, <laughs> you know, discard your friends or anything like that. That's not my suggestion, but it to some degree recognize, you know, think about what kind of game do I run? And sometimes it takes some trial and error. You got to figure out what you like. Um, but recognizing that, that, it's not the fault of anybody, but just saying like, it's not that I don't want to play with you. It's just that like, I don't think you want to play the game I'm about to do. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, that. It's, um, don't, it's not even about them. It's just like, I don't think you find what I like interesting. And that's, yeah. sorry. Like, you know, I mean like, you, you can be there, but I'm not going to, you know, I don't think, even when I'm improvising, I'm improvising towards a direction that's still essentially what I like. And if you just yeah. don't like it, and we, the, the conversation almost ends there, you know, and it's unfortunate, but I think that's where a lot of the stress comes from, is you're not sure yes. that you're lining up with the people around you.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that being said, to end on a more positive note than that, because... Yeah,
1: that's a downer, I, mean, I apologize.
0: Well, I mean, I was I was right there with you. We were both a bit of a downer <laughs> there, but... At the end of the day, improving, as we said, is one of the most important parts of D&D... And in my mind, one of my favorite parts. Yeah. One of the most fun parts, because every time you have those hilarious stories you talk about, every time you have those ridiculous encounters you talk about, like, oh, remember that time where you did that thing to that goblin? It was crazy! Mm -hmm. Like, those are always high in the improv. Those are always when, like, alright, you guys went down path g when i only planned for a b and c so now we're we are off book and i'm just (laughs) pulling this out of my ass and like jimmy's going on a blind date with a goblin and that's where we're at right now that's what we're doing next week (laughs) those are the kind of things that like are really silly and really fun but also like they're the parts the pieces you remember the pieces that you know always end up meaning a lot or is when it's just instinctual. It's what's coming out of your, you know, gut at the exact moment. It's when people are able to act fully in character because if you're, you know, spewing it off your ass, they're going to start doing that and it's they're falling into their character in regards to their reactions. It really heightens the game in a beautiful way.
1: Yeah. I, I agree. So if you have any other questions you'd like to ask about improv or um I don't know Preparation techniques that allow for maybe more ready and useful improv. Uh, feel free to drop us a line at uh, dungeoncasterspodcast at gmail.com.
0: Or you can tweet at us at dungeon underscore casters.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on Twitter pretty frequently. I'm sure we can get back to you uh, within the day if uh, you yeah. can send us one.
0: Hey, I check our Twitter every time I poop, so I'm on there <laughs> at least once a day, guys. Yeah, at
1: least. 14 times a day. (laughs) Um, And uh, if you would like, we're also on iTunes. Uh, Feel free to uh, find us at Dungeon Space Casters under the podcast tab and leave us uh, a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, we would. Also, uh, so we have hit our thousand listened mark. Oh, yeah. I
1: forgot to bring this up.
0: um, A group of you have listened to us a total of a thousand times at this point. God damn. (laughs) Right? Uh, So now we are officially going to be doing a uh, mid-late December video edition. It's going to be filmed. It's going to be me and Ben in person. We're going to be doing something fun and different. We don't know if it's going to be live-streamed or not yet. We still haven't figured that out. But we will be... Recording a video uh, issue where you'll be able to see us. And maybe we'll have guests, maybe we'll have a bear fight, maybe we'll do a game <laughs> show. Who knows? There's so many options. Ping pong
1: tournament. That could happen. Hey, Scott. I just improvised yeah. it. that. Was top of, that was top of the dome. Just said that. Ping oh, okay. pong tournament. Wow. Good work. <laughs> yes, see how Pam. easy it is? Hey, Ben. Do we even have a ping pong table? Hey, Ben. <laughs> We have to buy a ping pong table. Hey Ben. Scott, I can't afford a ping pong table. <laughs> hey Ben. Yeah.
0: Why do uh dragons refuse to eat paladins?
1: Because they're high in cholesterol? I don't know. <laughs> um, they taste so lawful. Oh god, Scott. Couldn't you just say yes? <laughs> Yes, and they're also high in sodium. (laughs) Yes, and...
0: Podcast, we used Achilles and News Sting by Kevin McLeod of Acompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons.